Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I have a favor to ask you guys. Um, if you see me collapse on stage spontaneously, um, just maybe one or two of you just come and pick me up. Uh, I am excited to be with you guys this morning. It's been a, it's been a good weekend. Um, yesterday I ran 30 miles, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. Thank you. I, it was it was just a crazy day. The only reason I say it is I don't want to be like, hey, I need the ego, so congratulate me. I just want to celebrate what a cool day it was because uh, I don't just randomly run 30 miles. I think people who run that far for fun are kind of sick in the head. Um, <laughs> Like, the, the guy I was running it with, he had run a 100-mile race before. And I was like, how long did that take you? He said, 33 hours. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that, that's, that's, that's not human, okay? When God designed us, he did not say, okay, you're meant to endure 100 miles, 33 hours of running, okay? That, that's just not, that was not part of God's design. And so, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm running this with him. I'm like, man, it's hot out here. It, this, this is hot. Like, this is insane. I started to, like, kind of have, you know, some delusional thoughts. Like, I was tall and handsome, and that wasn't working for me. And just, it was just, it was insane. Um, but I say all that to say it was just a great weekend because uh, we did it with so many other people around the state as a way of raising funds and raising awareness for human trafficking. And so many of you guys were a part of that, for whether it was financially, but even just I was getting texts and comments throughout the journey. And, like, I can honestly say, like, it was a game changer because, like... It was hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. And so I just want to say thank you for that and just say that because it's been a great weekend so far. And we're just going to continue that train going forward if you're cool with that. So um, we are starting a brand new series called The Paradox today. And uh, if there's anything I've learned in my three and a half years of working here as a youth pastor and executive pastor is that it's really good to define things. Okay? Because every once in a while... I'll be preaching a message to you, and I'll be saying something, and I'll throw out a phrase or, or something that just, you know, kind of rolls off the tongue, and I kind of get one of these looks from most people in the audience. Like the deer in the headlights, like, I don't know what you're saying, but your mouth is still moving. Okay? So I've learned it's really good to important when you're defining anything or when you're talking about anything, it's good to say, okay, what does this mean? And so a paradox is a noun. It's a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. That's a big definition. For those who are like, that's a lot of words. Quite simply, a paradox is like a contradiction, okay? It, it, in theory, it makes sense. When you really get to the bottom of it, it's kind of like that makes no sense. And so I've taken the liberty of providing some examples for you today, all right? A paradox number one. This is the beginning of the end. Who's ever said that before? I know I have. It's one of those things where it's like it makes sense in their head. Then you're saying it's like, well, if it's the end, how can there be a beginning? It just doesn't make sense. This is one of my favorites. I know one thing that I know nothing. If you know nothing, you don't know one thing. And this one I straight up stole from a movie. And if you know the movie, raise your hand because I'm going to be very impressed. 50% 50% of the time, it works all of the time. 
Nobody. All right, that's probably a good thing. It's not the most appropriate movie I saw it many years ago, but it was very funny. And then there's the paradox that just hit a little bit too close to home. All right? Like this one. The Minnesota Vikings are a good football team. The Minnesota Vikings are a good football team. We have more NFC championships in the last 20 years than anyone else in our division, yet how many rings do we have? And all Packers fans in the room, I don't want to hear from you right now. Because unfortunately we have some of those in our church. Like I said, we're all sinners to some degree. And then my favorite paradox of them all comes from my boss, fearless leader, Chris Vincent. He says this to me all of the time. He says, Derek, you have no taste. You like raising canes. That is a paradox. Because if I had no taste, then I wouldn't like raising canes. Because raising canes has arguably the best chicken tenders that this planet has ever seen. Thank you. Chick-fil-A is good. I'm not down on Chick-fil-A. I had Chick-fil-A yesterday. I am just saying that Raising Cane's is very delicious, okay? And every once in a while, a Sunday comes, and you're really craving Chick-fil-A, right? You're like, oh, I just go for a fried chicken sandwich. I just go for some really good chicken tender. So you get in the car, you're driving to Chick-fil-A, and you go, oh, shoot, it's Sunday. They're not open. So, if you're looking for an alternative, Raising Cane's is your thing, and make sure that you let Chris know he is a living example of a paradox, because he doesn't like it for some reason, and I'm really questioning his stability for anything else he says from this point on. Paradoxes make you think. It's one of those deals where it makes sense, but it doesn't. And what I've grown to love this week is looking at paradoxes. It's one of those things where it's like, on the surface level... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but the more you dig into it, the more you really get to the bottom of it, the more you start to understand there's actually some pretty significant meaning or lack thereof in a paradox. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to introduce a series called The Paradox. When Chris came to me and kind of explained what he wanted to, to talk on for the next few weeks, I was super encouraged because there has been a paradox in my life that I have been living and praying and processing for like the last three to five years of my life, honestly. And so I am excited to share it with you this morning. And so uh, it's gonna be on the screen. I'm gonna read it a few times because I gotta tell you, I wrote this paradox down this week. And I read it back to myself and I just laughed out loud to myself in my office. I'm like, this makes zero sense. Like this is literally the most contradictory statement in the world, but it will make sense when I explain it to you. So paradox number one of this brand new series is being good enough will never be enough, but being not good enough will always be good enough. Do you ever have those times where you like say a word so often it doesn't even sound like a word anymore? That's what enough sounded like to me this week when I was doing it. And so I'm going to read it again. Being good enough will never be enough. But being not good enough will always be good enough. As an American in the 21st century, we are very introspective. We are always looking internally to our lives. Like what's going on in my life? How am I processing how am I doing? We are very introspective. And that's not a bad thing. It means we're, we're very aware of what's happening in our life. And that's a very good thing. But the problem is we are primarily driven by performance. 
We live in a performance-driven society, a performance-driven society and culture. For those who have been employed for any number of time, you probably had a performance review, right? Where you sit down with your superior and they have a list of criteria, of objective tasks or things you're supposed to be accomplishing. And depending upon how you're doing those and performing those is depending upon how well you're doing. And usually how well you're doing means how well you get the raise or the promotion or whatever it is. And it's all based upon your performance. Those who have high school age kids, you're probably looking at comprehensive and standardized tests such as the ACT, the SAT. Your students, you're pushing them to keep their GPA. It's a lot of just three letter words or acronyms, right? ACT, SAT, GPA. But they're all measuring sticks as to how well your student is doing, how intelligent they are, how wise they are, how well they're doing, how well their work ethic is. So when they go to college, the, the university, the trades, whatever it is, can look at your student, not knowing them from Adam, and can go, based upon these criteria, based upon their performance in these things, is how good of a student, how good of a worker, how good of a person that they are. And so immediately you're judged on your performance. We've all had one of our favorite TV shows canceled because the performance wasn't there and then you cry and you're like, there's no resolution. <laughs> I've had that way too often in my life. We need to pick better shows apparently. And then parents, you know this when you get your report card sent home with your student and you open it up and sometimes it's really good and sometimes it's grounding and chores and dishes and all the likes of that. In our world, the guardrails by which we live our life is inherently tied to our performance. It's tied to how well we are doing. And it's good to be accountable. It's good to have these things in our life going, you know what, is this, is this am I on track? Is this, is, this, is this really, you know, what I need to be doing? It's, it's an accountability, it's a guardrail. But the problem is, is that we get so conditioned to performing and doing well that it's all we ever think about. And we start to tie our identity, who we are as a person, to how we perform in things. Like if I do this well, then I must be successful. If I get my weight underneath this number, then I'll be healthy. If I get my bank account up to this high, then I'll be successful and rich probably. If I can get you know, my son, my daughter, my spouse, my sister, my brother to do this or to say this or to give me this, then I must be doing well. If I can get the promotion, then I'll be doing well. If I can do, we start to tie these performances and these benchmarks to how we're doing as a person, as a human being. And we strive and we strive and we strive and we strive to be good enough. It's tiring sometimes. And those are all good things. I was a very hardworking student, almost to a fault, all the way through high school and college. My parents had the opposite problem. They would have to talk me down, like, Derek, it's okay. You're not gonna die. You gotta be on this paper. It's okay. Like, you're not gonna die. Don't cry anymore. Like, I had the opposite problem, but nonetheless, it just ripped me apart because I felt like I was never doing good enough. And the problem is we take all of this, these behaviors, this mantra, this, this, 
idea that we need to perform and everything, and we bring it to church, and it's the same kind of thing. If you ever visit a church for the first time and you have tattoos, you're like, oh, I better cover those up. My wife's got like six or seven tattoos, so she's always like, I don't care. But some people are like, I gotta cover my tattoos, but I don't want them to think that I'm a bad person. Sometimes we come to church, right? And it can be nerve-wracking. How are they gonna feel about me? Are they gonna judge me? I smoked last night, I smoked on my way here, so I better make sure I put some gum in. I better make sure I brush my teeth so they don't think that I smoked, that's bad. I better make sure I brush my teeth because I drank last night. I don't want them to know that, that I'll get alcohol in my breath. I, I, I better make sure that I smile super you know, super big so they don't ask me what's going on when really life is hard right now. My life's kind of in shambles. And we, we have all of these things that we carry into church with us this, you know, on a typical Sunday morning. And the problem is that we think that we need to perform in church as well. We need to have the perfect image. We need to look right. We need to fit the bill because if we don't, then we're not welcome. And if we're not welcome, then God must not love us. And if God must not love us, then I'm just the scum of the earth and so we bring this idea of striving into the church for performance execution and approval and it's toxic not for the church inherently but just for ourselves because the reality is this way of living this way of coming to church is actually a contradiction it's a paradox from what God ever wanted for us Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Romans chapter 8, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. I picked these three verses because I want you to catch a very common theme throughout much of the Bible. Contradictory to where our perspective is in every other area of our life, God's calling our perspective to not be in here, but to be at him. God's calling us to focus on who he is. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Come to me. He sent his son. Because we focus on what we can do and who we are and everything else. We start to take away from what he has done, from what he will do, and from who he is. Ever went into Barnes & Noble before and asked them, where the self-help section is. It's like half the, it's like half the store. Okay? Like there's there they might have one little segment, but like when you when you go to a bookstore, the whole point of a book is to teach you something, to educate you on something, to make you a, a, a better learner, to, to instruct you on a topic or to help you in some way. 
We're so used to fixing ourselves and acquiring things for ourselves and fighting our own way is that we get so used to it, right? Like, my finances are a mess, so you know what? I'll fix it. This, this is my issue. You know what? I don't need your help. I got it. I'll figure it out, right? Or, you know, I have issues in my marriage right now, and so you know what? No, I don't need a counselor. I don't need to sit down with a therapist. Like, this is between my wife and I. I don't need that. This, this, this is our issue. We'll figure it out, right? Or parenting. Like, I have this issue with my kid, and you know what? Like, I'm just going to figure it out. There, you can tell me how to raise my kid? I don't think so. This is my kid, right? You get so used to my issue, my problem, my way. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I understand. I do the same thing in my life. But when it comes to church, when it comes to Jesus, our focus cannot be on ourselves. It's got to be on who Jesus is. Because if we want to really see ourselves for who we are, it's not going to be found by looking inside. It's going to be by looking through his eyes. And so we got to get back to looking through who he is. God's telling us, I want you to focus on me. I want you to come to me. I want you to seek me with everything because that is where you really find your freedom. That is where you find your approval that you're so desperately looking for. We will never, and I mean never, be good enough in the eyes of Jesus by doing it ourselves. But pastor, I read my Bible every single day. That's, that's perfect. That's awesome. Good for you. But pastor, I don't cuss anymore. So you know what? I'm getting it figured out. Hey, but pastor, you know what? I come to church every single Sunday. That's got to account for something. But pastor, you have no idea what I do Monday through Saturday. I do so much volunteer work. I help feed the homeless. I help do this. I give to this organization. That's got to be account for something. It does. You're changing lives. You're getting better. You're doing something beyond yourself, and that is awesome. But I gotta tell you something. When you get up to heaven one day, when you sit before God, there's not gonna be a scale in front of you. He's not gonna say, you know what? You had this much good stuff in your life, this much bad stuff in your life, but whichever is heavier depends where you go. The Bible is very clear that that is not how we go to heaven or the other destination. It's not good versus bad. Something so much deeper. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6. What does that mean? It means that when we sin, when we screw up, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've sinned every once in a while. It's been a couple minutes since I've sinned, you know. Um, it, it just happens, okay? We think things, you know, we say things, we, we you know, make hand gestures on a certain finger at a certain, someone when we're driving a certain place, you know, like. We all screw up, okay? And if you don't screw up, like, I gotta have a conversation with you because you have something to figure out that I don't. So, like, we all mess up. We all sin. And when we sin, we're separating ourselves from God. We're no longer holy. And when you look back at the Old Testament of the Bible, they, would, they were holy when they were clean, when they were righteous. And so whenever they would, would make a mistake or do something that was ceremonially unclean, they would have to literally go and bathe themselves and pray. And like, you know, a couple hours later, they would be considered holy and righteous again. And so I don't know about you, but I would probably run out of water if I had to take a bath every time I made a mistake. Because there's not enough water, there's not enough energy in the world for that. 
But the problem is when we're not holy, by definition, we can't enter heaven. If God is perfectly just, if God is perfectly righteous, the only way we can be in heaven is if we are flawless and holy and perfect. And the issue with that is that if we're not, there's only one other place for us. And that's not an encouraging message. I don't know about you guys, but I'm glad I came to this church because they're talking about some uplifting stuff. This is really hard for me to wrap my head around, but the idea is you are never going to be good enough in the eyes of God by doing it yourself. You can read your Bible from noon to midnight. You can exclude yourself. You can give all of your money to the poor. You can do all of that. And that is all amazing and awesome stuff. But I've got to tell you, it's not enough to keep you from being flawed. We are human beings and we screw up and we mess up. And a lot of pastors are really good at telling you that. They're really good. You know what? You're going to burn. Pay me money because if you don't, you're not giving to God. If you're not giving to God, you're going to burn. Right? I always have an issue when people can just make snap judgments and say, you're going to hell. Right? Like there are, there are some times that I, I, I pass someone and I know the intention is there. I know that the, there, are, there are some passions the intention is there, but the idea is you have no idea what a person's walking through. You have no idea what's in a person's heart. And so when you just make snap judgment and say, you suck, that's an issue. That's an issue because yes, we are all flawed and messed up, but the idea is that it's never about us in the first place. It's about God. It's about what He's done for us and where we're at. And I say all this to say it, it does not come from a, a place of study. It comes from a place of real experience in real life. I said for the last three to five years I've been living this, this paradox in my own life. Because when I was a freshman in college, I had been to, I went to NDSU. I was a chemistry major. If you can't tell, I like just hurting myself. Chemistry major, running far distances, I just, yeah, it just, I, I like to do challenging things apparently. So I went to NDSU, and at the time I had believed in Jesus, I'd given my life to Jesus, and life was good, life was great. But just like everything else in life, I decided, you know what, if I want to really go to the next level of my faith, if I really want to earn God's approval, I got, I got to work for it more. If I'm going to study my books for 10 hours, I better be able to sit down and read my Bible for at least two. If I'm going to go and hang out with my friends on a Friday night, I better best believe I can get up on Sunday morning to go to church. And I started taking this same attitude of performance, 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 and applying it to my faith. And it started a vicious cycle in my life of having to always earn God's love and earn God's approval. And it got to the point of where if, sometimes if you come here in January, we do something called prayer and fasting, which is purely a practice of, you know what, I'm going to take a lunch or I'm going to take a dinner. And the time I'm normally going to spend it eating, I'm going to pray during that time. That's prayer and fasting. And so as a freshman in college, I decided, you know what? I need to start prayer and fasting way more. And so I started 
one night I was like, no, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna skip dinner tonight. I'm gonna pray for that time, and I did. It was great. I ate lunch the next day. I was like, no, I'm gonna do that again. I did it again. But then, as I'm sitting there praying, I'm like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll skip breakfast too. That, that, that'll really put in some brownie points with the big man upstairs. Like that's, that's really gonna get me to the next level. So I did that. I skipped dinner, and then I went to, I skipped breakfast, and I ate lunch. And after a while, that turned into a very, very unhealthy. There was days where I'd, I'd eat one meal and then go seven without it. There was one day I was like, you know what? Like maybe I should just skip water entirely. Let's just not drink water for a full 24 hours. Like it got bad. And I don't know if you guys can tell, I'm not the biggest guy in the world, okay? Um, I, 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 I kind of weigh, you know, a certain, I'm not going to say numbers, but I don't weigh very much. And so, um, it got really bad because I had done this for two months on and off intermittently. And I went home for Christmas break and my mom brought me to the doctor because she said, you are sick. I lost 25 pounds in two and a half months and I don't have 25 pounds to lose. And the issue was that I thought I need to earn God's love. I need to do this or else God's not going to be happy with me. I need to do this if I really want to go to the next level of my faith. I took this idea of performance, being good enough, being the best. I took that from the world and I put it onto my faith. And it nearly killed me. Literally. I was very ill. And so after a while, I got better over Christmas break. I started to eat again, but I went back to college, being away from my family, being away from everything else, and those same ideas were still in my brain. So, and then one of the pastors in Fargo, where I was attending church, sat down with me, and he said something that will forever change in my life. He said, Derek, if I were to bring you a, a, a Christmas present right now, and I were to bring it over to your dorm room and give it to you, and it was what you wanted the most, let's say it wasn't brand new Xbox 360 at the time, but I'll be younger to in here, okay? An Xbox 360. Wrapped it up, top of the line, brought it to you, pushed it over to you. You opened it up, looked at it, and said, yeah, I don't want it, pushed it back at me. How would I feel? I said, oh, you probably feel junk. Because okay. So how do you think God feels when you're pushing back his gift of salvation? How do you think God's feeling when you think you need to earn his love? He goes, what, what happened if you just pulled out your billfold and said, you know what? Appreciate the Xbox, man, but I'm going to pay you for it because I don't, I don't, I don't want to take it. I'm, I'm just going to, how, how much did you pay for this Xbox? Because I need to pay for it. Like, how would I feel? It's like, I think I, I, think I see where you're going with there, Pastor. Maybe, that, maybe that's how you're a pastor, okay? But he looked me straight in the eyes and he shared this verse with me. And it has been a life-changing force in my life. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. If we want to try to get our lives right with action, it's got to start with the belief first. If you reverse those two, it's never going to click. It's never, you're going you're gonna to work yourself into a hole because the reality is when we become acquainted with our weakness and our brokenness, 
It hurts. For those who've been in a performance review, you notice like when your when your boss is sitting there critiquing what you're doing, right? That's no fun. We don't like to be aware of where our faults are at. Like it's who does like that? I don't know of anybody that does. We don't like to think that we are inferior to anything, and unfortunately, it happens way too often. And so that we don't feel good enough, we don't think we have worth, we don't think we have an identity. But this morning, our behavior may disqualify us from eternity, but our perfection will never earn it back. It's not about being perfect. It's not about having it all figured out and fixing it. It's about getting to the root of the issue. And this morning, I kind of wanted to leave you with this as I get ready to close. We all have something in our lives that is heavy, that weighs us down. Maybe it's an addiction to something. Maybe it's an issue with the relationship. Maybe it's the loss of somebody you love. Maybe it's whatever it is in your life. We all have something in our life that is super heavy, super intense. It always brings us back. Just when we're making progress in life, this thing brings us right back. You take two steps forward, ten steps back. Like, you know what? I'm making progress in my life, but this thing, it just wrecks it every single time. And so here's what we do. We're like, you know what? I'm sick of this stupid thing. I'm sick of how it weighs me down. I'm going to get rid of this thing. And so what we do is we grab the rope and we try to run as far as we can, as fast as we can, this way. And so we're like, all right, here we go. And it pulls us back. So we go, oh, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this. We get more slack in the rope. Like, I'm done with this now. I'm, 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 this is not going to happen to me anymore. And so we get farther back, and we get ready, more slack, and we take off this bar, and it pulls us back even harder. And so we do this in our faith walk too, right? I have an addiction to XYZ. I have an issue with this person. I cuss them out every other day. I have an issue with this relationship in my life, and it's really toxic, but I can't get out of it. And we have all of these things, and we say, you know what, God? If you want to approve of me, if you really think I'm that good, then I shouldn't be struggling with this. I shouldn't have this in my life. I need to get rid of this. So you know what, God? Just give me some more time. Give me some more slack. I'm going to get rid of this. And we go back here. We get our running start, and time after time after time after time after time, our anchor pulls us back. Time after time, and each time we get pulled back, each time we make a mistake, we feel less than. For those who ever stumbled in anything in your life, you know it's hard to bounce back time after time, right? So what we start to do is we start to we start to go, you know what, God, like, if I was really that good, if I was just really a, a person that loved you, I wouldn't struggle with this. I wouldn't have this in my life. Like, I need to get rid of this, God, if you're going to really love me, if I'm going to really do things, if you're going to really approve of me, I shouldn't have this. And so we do everything in our power, everything in our might to get rid of this anchor and to get rid of this and all of this. And you know what God says? He goes, why don't you let go of the rope? Why don't you just let go? You might have this weight, but you're the one who's still holding on to the rope. You're the one who's still going, you know what? Like, I need to figure this out. How about you trust me at my word? 
Because the Bible says that when we give our lives to Christ, we are a new creation. And the old self of us is gone. When we say, you know what, Jesus, I am broken. You know what, God, I make mistakes. You know what, God, I am far from perfect. But Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I give my life to you. Whatever it is that you want to do in my life, God, it is yours. And God, I might not be perfect, but I just want to follow you and love you. It changes everything. Because no longer are we looking for the approval. No longer are we trying to seek the affirmation and the love of God. We already have it. We already have it. And so today I'm calling all of us to freedom. Because the reality is we're celebrating our nation's freedom today. We are celebrating the freedom of America and the liberties we have. But the problem is so many of us aren't free at all. Because there's something in our lives that is so heavy that can pull us back time after time after time. And God's calling us today, you know what? Just let it go. Just let it go. Because I got it. I've got you if you will trust me. And here's what happens when you let go. Not only are you free, but now you can walk all the way over here. You can walk down over here. And you know what's over here and over there with other people who are struggling. This morning on my way in, I had my message all prepared. I had it all typed up. And then this morning I was just driving and I felt like God was saying, you know what? The purpose of freedom is not just to be free. The purpose of freedom is to help others get free. We can be free. I can be jumping jacks up here all I want, right? But what if I use my freedom to go help somebody else? What if I use my freedom to go over to my friend's house who's struggling with the loss of a parent? And I wasn't so fixated on my addiction, on my stuff, on my loss, on my pain, on my hurt, on my judgment. What if I was no longer fixated on this over here, but I can now fixate my perspective on someone who's hurting. And go and love them. And talk to them about the life-saving grace of Jesus. What if we could be free to help others get free? This morning, I know we all come from different backgrounds. We all come from different ideas, different experiences. And make no mistake, I have no intent of diminishing the stuff in your life that you've been through. I'm sure you've been through things in your life, good and bad, that I can't even possibly imagine. But the beautiful part about Jesus, the beautiful part about grace, is that I don't need to know it, but God does. A message like this is, is encouraging, but it's it's not going to really make an impact until we make it practical. And so this morning, wherever you are in your life, whatever it is that you've been through, I want to encourage you that God doesn't need to be summoned. You don't need to come to the church. We don't need to lay hands on you. We don't need to say, you know what? Say these five words and then now you get God's attention. You can have an open and honest conversation with God whenever you want. You can be laying in your bed at night. You know what, God? I'm struggling with this. Would you just, would you just help me with this? And he's there. For some of us, it's maybe no longer about just going to the Bible or bringing our Bible or reading our Bible just because it's a religious thing to do. Maybe it's about getting to know somebody. My wife and I are really 
mushy and gushy. We love love letters, okay? We're Chris calls us newlyweds, we're not newlyweds, but he does call us newlyweds, which is super fun and somewhat demeaning. <laughs> but I love them. And sometimes I have to understand that my wife doesn't write me letters just because she feels that she needs to. She writes me love letters because she wants to affirm and let me know if I think that she feels deep inside of her. When she writes me a letter, I get to know her heart a little bit more. And a lot of times we need to look at the, the Bible, the Word of God, the same way. It's not about reading our sacred books for the sake of reading. It's about getting to know the heart of God. It's about getting to know who we are in Him. I don't know about you guys, but I found a lot of voices in this world and this life that tell me everything I'm doing wrong. And every single thing that I'm not good enough, okay? There's a ton of negative voices in our world. But when you open up that Bible, when you, you start to dig in, you'll start to understand that God has a whole bunch of good things to say about you. And about your heart. And about your life. And maybe it's just about giving peace in a relationship. Maybe it's about reconciliation. Maybe there's something or someone in your life that you need to write. And it's not about just doing it just to do it because that's the right thing to do. It's about doing it so that you can be free from the stuff in your life that's weighing you down. So this morning, I'm going to close with an invitation to every single person in this room. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to make you do anything out loud. But I'm just going to give you an invitation to really welcome God into your life. To really allow Him to take over and not take over in a weird way, not take over and say, ooh, I'm weird now, but to just come into your life, into your situation, into your heart, and really be open, really be vulnerable. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, He'll be with us. And so today, if you want the relationship with Jesus, if you want God to be that real, that intimate, that personal with you, you can have it. But pastor, I did this thing last night. But pastor, I did this thing five years ago. There's no way God forgive that. Try me. Try me. Because I have a whole bunch of people in this century and from 20-some centuries ago in the Bible. One in particular who slept with a woman that wasn't his wife, killed said husband, and was still considered a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he acknowledged his mistakes. He understood that he wasn't good enough in the eyes of God by doing it himself. But he was good enough because God said, I love you, I've redeemed you. There's forgiveness for all. However, if you could put that paradox, the the one about being not good enough, the crazy one. I want to close with this and want to get you guys out of here. Being good enough, trying to earn God's love, God's love, trying to do all the right things, stop all the wrong things, say all the right things, put the smile on at the right time, trying to do more, see more, say more. Be good enough will never be enough. But not being not good enough will always be enough.
I want to encourage you to embrace your weaknesses this week. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says that when we acknowledge our weaknesses, that's where our strength is. God works best in our weakness. So wherever you're at today, let me pray with you. God, I love you, and I thank you so much for your gift of grace. Lord, I believe that there are people in this room, people that are going to be listening later on the podcast, people who are, who are listening online, who don't feel good enough, who don't feel like they are loved by you, who don't feel like they are worthy of your affirmation and your love, God, who don't feel good enough. And God, instead of them feeling that and that shame and that guilt, may they understand that by them being flawed, by them making mistakes, by them being human, God, that's exactly where you want to meet us. And that's exactly where you want to come into our heart and give us peace, give us strength, give us restoration, give us redemption. God, you have our best in mind. And Lord, I just pray for every Man, woman, child in this room. May they walk out this door knowing, God, that you love them. God, you love them more than they can even possibly imagine or conceive. And so this week, God, may they just draw nearer to you. May they chase after you. May they experience you in a way that is real and tangible. And every time they don't feel like they're good enough, may they know they are good enough because you say that they are. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.